bring in Jeff Reinbold to kick off the Irish NFL show uh, on wildcard weekend. Jeff, you've made it to the top. Look, you've, you've made it to the top of the show. Congratulations. I, I, I actually cannot believe it. You know, I looked at your I looked at your uh, graphic where you had all the quarterbacks and all that, you know, for, for Super Wildcard weekend. And I looked down in the corner, and that's the graphic, and looked down there, and there's <laughs> Kyler Murray underneath George Hill's <laughs> shoulder pad. I really didn't mean to and do I that. Thought, I, I didn't. You guys you know, that small. have you know, such that small. attention to detail that you put it at true scale. That is exactly how tall he is. Because I, I I met him at the at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and I'm taller than he is, and I, I'm not very tall. So th- that's a great job, man. I'm telling you, this show. It every time I come on, you fascinate me with the attention to detail. Well, that was my Monday night done well, and then I found out late in Monday night, Jeff, that it's called Super Wild Card Weekend, and it is super indeed. And we're here after. 18 weeks, uh, we started late, Jeff, because you were talking about Joe Judge and the Giants. Uh, let's focus on the playoffs. Uh, you must be buzzing. <laughs> I, I, I'm joking, by the way, but you must be buzzing that the playoffs are now upon us. Yeah, you know what, man? It's just such an amazing thing. Playoff football in pro football is, you know, incredible. And I'm really lucky because I get to go through it twice. I get to go through it coaching it, and then I get to go through it, you know, calling it for Sky Sports and, you know, the finality of it. This is the thing that is so unique in all of pro, the pro sports world. You know, you talk about whether it's the World Cup or the NBA Finals or Major League Baseball or, you know, very, very few times do you get in a situation from the start of the playoffs, it's one or done, right, where the final – like. You're living in a world of if you don't get it done this week, there's no second chance. There's no aggregate scores. There's no best out of seven, best out of five, best out of it's you better do it today and then live to fight another day. And then hopefully you can, you know, just keep playing on. And it's so incredibly, you know, stressful for the players and coaches, for the fans, for everybody. It's it's you know, the greatest drama in sport. And Jeff, maybe building on that, because this weekend, as you said, it's uh, win or go home, and you've got a number of quarterbacks making their playoff appearance. I mean, you got in the in the first game of the weekend, Carr makes his playoff debut because he broke his leg the last time, going up Joe Burrow, who's pulling up trees in his second year. Matt Jones, the, the rookie, um, obviously. You've got Ky- uh, Kyler Murray making his and Jalen Hurts. In terms of players, especially QBs, we know how important. There's no position like it in sports. But a QB making their playoff debut, what kind of pressure is that? And, and, and how do you think they will deal with it? You know, I talked to... Trent Dilfer, who won a Super Bowl with the, with the Ravens. And, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, you can't even appreciate the enormity of the responsibility when you get to the playoffs mm-hmm. as a quarterback. And I thought that was a really great way to say it. Here's the thing, Colin, and I, you really hit on a great topic, right? Because think about as a quarterback, you are defined – by wins and losses. Your legacy is defined by what you do in playoff football. 
So David Carr has a lot of detractors. And part of the reason for that is he hasn't played in a playoff game yet. He has no playoff resume. If you're Tom Brady, you're out of the woods. If you're Aaron Rodgers, as great as Aaron Rodgers is, if he wants to be in that elite, elite, he needs to win another Super Bowl. That's how quarterbacks are defined. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, they picked him off the scrap heap in Miami. And he came and he's been to, a, he's been to an AFC championship game. But he's never been to a Super Bowl. Steve McNair has been to a Super Bowl, right? So he'll always be in Steve McNair's shadow in Tennessee until he gets to a Super Bowl. Is that unfair? Yeah. But if you want fair, right, go see a judge because it, it, you don't get fair in, an, in pro football. Well, we won't be going to see Joe Judge anymore, Jeff. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> oh, never, wow. That was one of the best I've ever heard. Never until we – When I actually was going down the coaching route on this question because it's never a dull week in the NFL. Thankfully, we're going to start talking about the games. But eight openings this week – across the league in terms of head coaching positions. The one that fascinates me the most, actually, is the dismissal of Flores. Um, everybody was quite surprised come Monday afternoon when we saw the news. But as the week has, has gone on, there's been a lot of bad press coming out about how he was managing the players, how he was managing the situation with Tua. And there was a complete kind of disconnect between him and the general manager. And in the end, the general manager has won out. Were you surprised that that came about? And I suppose he is deemed to be one of the leading candidates elsewhere now in terms of where he will go from here? Well, I tell you what, my, my knee-jerk reaction, I was surprised. And then as I sat back for a few minutes and I thought about it, when you've been in this business as long as I have, you can read the tea leaves a little bit, right? And there were enough things that happened in his tenure to make you go, something's not right there, right? You don't go through what in essence turned out to be four offensive coordinators, four offensive line coaches, and not have something dysfunctional, right? Because remember, Flores is the guy who hired all those guys, right? It, it, you know, it wasn't that he inherited them or he hired them. Right. And he got rid of one and hired another one. Then he got rid of that one and hired another one. They got rid of that one and hired another one. That that's an alarm bell right there. And then when you openly romance another quarterback, when you've taken a guy with its fifth in fifth in the NFL draft, right? What are you saying to him and to everybody on that football team? Right? So it was interesting on our podcast tonight, we talked about Kendall, I talked to Kendall Gammon and we talked about Coach Vermeil. And I said, what made him so special? What made him a success? What made him able to take two teams to the, one of the few guys to take two teams to the Super Bowl? And he said it was all about relationships, right? And so it's so important in this time in football, professional football, that you be a relationships guy, right? Now, here's here's the thing that's let's let's expand upon that further, right? Look at the number of Belichick assistants who've gone out and flirted with success because they've all had a little bit of success when they went. 
and then were unemployed within three years. Is that because they're not good football coaches? No. Is that because they're dumb guys? No. It's what they grew up in, in that organization in New England, is so unique that you can't, or we nobody has been able to simulate it outside of that test tube, right? It's like it's this magical thing that you take it out of the laboratory and it falls to pieces because the structure that they have in New England is so unique. In New England, you have to please one guy, not multiple guys, one guy. And I think what's happened is every single one of those guys has, has kind of aspired to be that person. And in the end, it didn't work that way for any of them. So I would be shocked if he doesn't get another job real soon. But also the other thing that's all of this stuff that's come out of Miami in this last little bit, don't think, don't think for a second that that wasn't engineered in some way by it's called damage control. Right. So, you know, this is the, this is the, the, dirty little part of our business and and it's part of our business and it's what we all sign up for jeff as you as you're saying brian flores first offensive coordinator he took he took uh chad o'shea who was a wide receivers coach in new england and then when he disposed of him after a year that you could say well hang on if he was your hand-picked guy to lead your offensive philosophy is the question do you really have an offensive philosophy and what is the the goal there but it's funny you mentioned the Belichick assistants, and obviously Bill O'Brien is a prime example of someone went somewhere for a while, got a degree of success. I mean, more than a degree of success. Back-to-back -back playoff appearances, uh, got a, a, a very talented young quarterback, a talented roster, and there's this moment I think in Houston Texans football history: twenty-one zip up against the Kansas City Chiefs, kicked the field goal on a short fourth and one rather than continue to press the button. And that was the moment that they didn't realize that I think they were a ground zero of both Hiroshima and Nagasaki all at the same time, because it's been nothing but a nuclear wasteland ever since that moment going forward in that franchise. And this week, of course, as well, we're talking about Brian Flores being fired. Three days later, after Black Monday, David Culley, the second last african-american coach in the nfl at that point only mike tomlin who's never had a losing season is still in the nfl as an african-american head coach but david cully one and done somewhat of a scapegoat one might say and you know houston we have several several problems um what's your take on the houston situation especially in how it relates to coach cully and his experience well i, th I think there's it's interesting you know what you throughout there is is a lot of facts right you know everybody points to that field goal and i think that the issues in houston began when o'brien wanted more and more and more power he wanted more he wanted more responsibility for setting the roster he wanted more input on the players he wanted more input on the draft He's an outstanding football coach. Bill O'Brien's a great football coach. But again, when you when you come up in that environment, right? And, and here's the thing about New England. 
New England typically brings in assistant coaches without a lot of outside experience because they want to teach them the Patriot way. They're not interested in input on what you did before, where you, you know, like one of the things that bogs organizations down is when they get, you know, you got 25 coaches on your staff and you're talking about what you're going to do for training camp. And, you know, you got 25 different, well, when I was here, we did it this way. Then I was here, we did it this way. And Belichick doesn't want that. He wants their way, the Patriot way, his way. So that's what you grow up in. And that's your only experience in pro football. And go back through his assistant coaches. You know, they're all the same. They all came up that way. None of them. Romeo Crennel might be the only one that was probably and had outside professional experience. They were they they were groomed in that. That's what they know, and that's what they aspired to be. And so, when you try and take that and put it in a different environment, it doesn't work. And and so, are they? You know, is Matt Patricia a dumb guy? No, 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 no. Is he a bad coach? No. You know, is. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I mean, Josh McDaniels took Tim Tebow to the playoffs, right? But you can't sustain it that way. And so sustainability is about relationships and everybody on the same page. Chad O'Shea is a friend of mine. And Chad O'Shea and, and Brian Flores were assistant, young assistant coaches together in New England. And... Brian wanted Chad to come because he could trust him and he knew him and he was an offensive guy and he gave him the offensive coordinator title. And I can remember this explicitly. They beat new England the last game of the year. And I remember they had a couple trick plays in there to beat new England. And I remember watching Chad run off the field past Flores. And there was a kind of an icy exchange and I thought, uh-oh, because I've seen that before, right? But it wasn't just him. Then they went out and, you know, they bring in an experienced guy, right? Because Chad didn't have any experience as a coordinator. So now I need an experienced experience guy. And that doesn't work. And then he goes out and hires two of them. And that doesn't work. At some point, you got to say, wait a second now. Is it, you know, somebody's okay in these hires or somebody's bringing these guys in and saying that's my guy that's at some point you got to turn and look at look in the mirror sorry for disappearing there for some reason jeff reinbold was talking 10 times in the background i don't know what was going on with my computer so i had to log off and log on again jeff it might have been because of my next question we'll, we'll, we'll get one more question each year i don't want to really talk about them but i have to and and i appreciate the fact they're in the playoffs raiders Playing the Bengals. You whoa, said in your podcast whoa, earlier on tonight, you, you think you the Raiders are going to win. You think the Raiders are going to win. Let's talk about the Raiders. Let's talk about the Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders oh. are a story, man. I mean, seriously. And and I, you guys know I'm a Raider fan, but look at that team. You lose a head coach quarter of the way through the season, right? And I'll, I'll go back even further. When Carl Nassib comes out as the first openly gay player, right? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but I'm just talking about distractions, right? And if you're a coach in pro football, the one thing you want to eliminate as much as you possibly can is distractions, things that take your focus off of the coach Vermeil used to say it to us like this, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? So NASIB comes out. Now you've got that going on, right? So everybody's answering questions about that and da-da-da-da. Okay, then you move to Vegas. And now you're dealing with the Vegas distraction. And then your head coach gets is forced to resign because of, you know, inflammatory emails he sent to the commissioner of the league and da-da-da-da. Then you got a player who gets in a DUI and kills somebody. Then you got another player who gets in a DUI. Rich, Rich Bisaccia has We say in our business that you're you got to get prepared. You're going to get two lightning bolts every year. Two of them. Two things that you had no idea were going to happen. They're going to affect your team positively or negatively. They're going to come. So you better be ready for them. How about the Raiders? It's been a lightning storm all year. And somehow they found their way to the playoffs. Jeff, when it comes to distractions, this time of year, with the way the NFL is set up and the way coaching hires work and the interview process and also in terms of general managers, you got coaches and uh, front office execs who are trying to juggle preparing for a game with preparing for interviews. Do you like how how sustainable is that? How can that work? How can you have people do you know focus on winning? As you said, these are these are huge. This is win or go home, and yet they're trying to juggle. You got Dan Quinn and and um, yeah, down in um, Dallas, and you've got their OC who have got job interviews. And Kellen Moore, and they're both of them. And in fairness to Dan Quinn, he's trying to help Kellen Moore, but they're trying to prepare for this game and do interviews. How, how do you go about that? Well, I think here's the reality, Coleman. This is a, that's really a good question, right? And I think one that maybe the fans really have an interest in. Most of the work, most of the preparation for an interview is done by your agent. It's not done by you, right? So for example, if I'm gonna go interview for a job, my agent, Paul Sheehy in Denver, will prepare for me a document with everything that I need to know about that situation. I mean, it's detailed. I mean, it, it it's about a hundred pages thick front to back. Right. And they will talk about all the, all the quote to use their term salient points about the job. Right. And so what your job is to do is to brief yourself to go in and present the best, program that you can based upon what your agent prepares for it because it's not like it's not like other jobs right it's not like oh the cowboy job's open i think i'll apply this is going on all year 24 7 12 months a year the agents are constantly working to put their guy in position for these jobs here's the thing and this is why it's turned, this is why it's become this. The average NFL coach is going to be $2.5 million a year, head coach, 
and I, I think that's on the low end, right? The agent gets 4% of that 2.5 million. So do you think that the agents are motivated to have NFL head coaches? And then the spinoff of that column is that they will also, they also have a number of assistant coach clients, right? So for example, my, my agent, Paul Sheehan in Denver, if a job comes open, he's going to go to that guy if there's a connection there and he's going to go, well, you need to hire this guy to be your special teams guy or this guy for this role, or you need to find a place for this guy. So if you watch college football, and this is where it's really changed. And now in college football, there's an, there's an agent by the name of Jimmy Sexton. And if you get a chance, get him on your show because he is the kingpin of college football. And his number one client is Nick Saban. And if you look at all of these assistant coaches, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Bill O'Brien, all, all of these guys are go. If they get fired, they get rehabbed in Alabama at Saban on Saban's staff, and then they kick them out and they become head coaches. Kirby Smart, you know, like I said, Sarkeesian at Texas. Bill O'Brien now with multiple NFL opportunities or quite uh, to interview anyway. So it's a it's an ongoing process all the time. It's not like it was in the old days. And when I say the old days, I'm talking 15 years ago where the agents weren't a factor. And the general manager would pick up the phone and he would call a friend of his and say, who, who do you like or who's out there, right? Or you as an assistant would call the general manager and say, you know, it, I'd really like to talk to you about your head coaching job, man. That's those days are way gone. It's now way past all that stuff. And you may never, as a, as a candidate, you may never talk to the organization until you walk in the door and say, hello. Jeff, there's one playoff game this weekend. That's really standing there for me. It brings me back to my teenage years. They played each other in the playoffs, 92, 93, 94. And that's, the Niners Cowboys, it's going to be some game. Um, what's your what's your thoughts on it? A lot of people are leaning cow are leaning Forty Niners all week, but uh, the Cowboys might like that. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, I, I had Jesse Sapolo on the co podcast tonight, and it was outstanding. You guys got to get him on your show because he's fantastic. But you know, Jesse played center for three Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. He so he told me today. He goes, I had a unique view. <laughs> So he had Steve Young's hand up his butt and he had Joe Montana's hands up his butt and he had Jeff Garcia's hands up his butt. But he said, he said, we hated them and they hated us. But the unique thing about it, right? And I'm trying to, I, 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 I tried to build context so maybe our fans would understand. Who are the two biggest rivals in Irish history? Shamrock Rovers. Lynn Fielding's been touring. Don't, don't listen to Brian. Lynn Fielding's been touring. I'm only joking, Brian. Sorry, I had to do it. He's talking about Gaelic football. Dublin and Kerry. That's the better one. All right. So, like, they hate each other, right? Like, hate each other. Correct or no? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Your uh, connection's a wee bit choppy, Jeff. It, it's a wee bit All choppy. Right. Do, do you want. Uh, just go out and come back in again, yeah? Like literally two that. Yeah, he's, I don't know. 
this is a an intriguing conversation and, and i know once we get uh mark and brian's questions we're, we're, we are going to go into our picks because we've got five games to go through yeah uh, vamos mexico column yeah yes indeed uh to to all our, our mexican oh. friends also sorry jeff go on ahead you're talking about the 49ers i think can you hear us jeff no okay we'll see, back, see if he's uh Maybe available in a second. I, yeah, I you know. might have some muffins in the oven, Michael. <laughs> I think it was our argument between Bohemians and uh, you said Shamrock Rovers, and I said Little Torn, so that's my bad. I think I messed up the audio a wee bit. Jeff, give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. Uh, he I can think hear it us. was it's me because I was, to, I was down to basically no battery, but I plugged it in. Well, okay, if, imagine, <laughs> imagine how much animosity there is between those two organizations, right? And then you're a star of the Shamrocks. And all of a sudden, in the middle of your career, you decide you're going to go over to the other side. Now, like, it'd be like going from Liverpool to, to Man U, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Well, yeah. in that rivalry, it happened a number of times. Charles Haley goes from one to the other. Kenny Norton goes from one to the other. Deion Sanders goes from one to the other. Right? I mean, as as goofy as Terrell Owens is, he celebrates on the star, and then he goes and plays for the Cowboys. That's how intense that rivalry was, to the point where the owners, the, the DiBartolos, Eddie DiBartolo, was kind of like, the young, brash, Italian, flaunt my money, wear pinky rings, slick my hair back, like completely different than the Roonies and, you know, the old school money NFL guys, right? And then all of a sudden, Jerry Jones comes in and he's the hotshot oil guy from Texas that, you know, never met a microphone he didn't like and all of a sudden it's like this complete change in the nfl because one of the things and jesse talked about it today one of the things that the niners did was they treated their players way better than nfl players were being treated at that time when they flew they all went first class they would they would charter 747s to fly to play games on the road while everybody else was flying commercial right and they're sitting in coach you imagine 285 pound offensive lineman at that time sitting in a coach seat for six hours to fly from los angeles to play in atlanta right well mr Bar de bartolo he said no no we don't tr we're the 49ers so it ended up what ended up happening was there was a shift of power in the nfl and all of a sudden, players who had the same agent were saying, listen, I'll take a minimum salary to come to the 49ers to get treated like that and win a championship as opposed to play, you know, for $50,000 more to be in Houston where the AstroTurf is nasty and we got – or Philadelphia where you got rats in the building. And, I mean, just – and then Jerry Jones comes in. And he's competitive. 
And he's going to go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second now. Nobody, nobody's going to be better than the, the star, right? And so all of a sudden this arms race happens in the National Football League. And who benefits? The fans benefit because they get a great rivalry. And the players benefit because the players are treated today better than they would have ever been treated had it not been for that rivalry. Uh, Jeff, I'm just laughing. You bringing up Jerry Jones being the the kind of the wheeler dealer oil man. Um, I remember back in I think '95, Jerry not only was suing the NFL pretty regularly, like Al Davis did back in the day. Obviously, <laughs> we're bringing up the Raiders, but uh, famously did a deal with Pepsi after the NFL did a deal with Coke and decided that Pepsi were going to be the official soft drink of the Dallas Cowboys and kept all of those monies for himself and the Dallas Cowboys franchise. So a pretty slick uh, businessman out there. See, the here's the thing, guys, that this makes the NFL so unique. And it's 32 of the biggest capitalists in all the world, right, that live in a communist society <laughs> because they have revenue sharing. And... You know, for years and years and years, that was all good because the Roonies and the Maras and, you know, the old school, the Fords and all of those families, they all, it was all like kind of an old boys club. And then these two rebels come in and they want to do it their own way, right? And like you said, that, that deal with Pepsi... He sued the NFL because he looked at his he looked at his balance sheet and he said, wait a second, the Cowboys are the number one. And I think they still are the number one merchandise seller in the National Football League. And we're giving money to the Cincinnati Bengals who can't sell anything and don't really care because we're propping them up. You know, it rubbed against his capitalist nature, yep. right? And so that whole thing, man, we could have a whole show on just that whole issue. Oh, well, I mean, Jeff, we could have a whole show about the 32 capitalists successfully running a monopoly, which somehow still avoids antitrust <laughs> legislation and the implications of the Sherman Act. But I mean, that's that's a that's a very different business show, I'll say in that regard. But um I will say this, you're rocking the silver, I'm rocking the black, so we've both got some Raiders connections going on this evening. But one game that's interesting to me, Jeff, there's a great stat. Nine out of the last 10 teams to have the highest quarterback cap hit have failed to make the playoffs. A stat that continued this year with uh, Seattle and Minnesota topping the pile and obviously both of them not making the playoffs. Packers fans, be afraid, be very afraid for next season, is all I'll say. But one quarterback who has constantly taken reductions, shall we say, in his salary to build a team around him is Mr. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, the greatest of all time. And another quarterback who won't cost very much because he's still on his rookie contract is Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, Beauty and the Beast, the young and the old, um, something and a shovel. You can use whatever analogy between the, uh, the two quarterbacks you'd like in this regard. Jeff, but it's a fascinating matchup between literally uh, the bold and the beautiful, the young and the old in this regard. Nobody's giving Philly much of a chance. Let's be honest about this. But the Bucs are so banged up. 
I mean, can the old man roll it out one more time, or how do you see things happening in this game? Well, I think there's a lot of factors at play in this game, right? Like, I just did my research and watched a lot of film on Philadelphia. Philadelphia can run the football. They have a really, really good scheme, and they have a unique talent at quarterback. Because if you asked me as a football coach to say who's a bigger threat running the football, Jalen Hurts or, ah, frick, I don't know. Pick one. Pick pick Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Josh Allen or Kyle Murray or Kyler Murray or any of those. I, I'm going to tell you Jalen Hurts because the design of what they do is so good. And, you know, Kyler Murray and Josh Allen will beat you when they – you know, when it's not a design run, they just pull it down, they run around and make a play. Jalen Hurts will beat you inside the scheme. Their scheme, when they get into two tight ends and they they start running, you know, it's it's really triple option football. It's like college football. And it's something that you don't see in the NFL. And it's hard to prepare for. It's like in college when you see Army or Navy come out with those little kids that should be playing division one double a football and beating you know like army beat missouri in the playoff game well they have no business beat missouri but the scheme is so unique and hard to prepare for that you get in that you get an opportunity if they can stay close they got a chance now people talked about vita vea coming back being big for tampa and it is but if shaq barrett's hurt and jpp is hurt when you look at Philadelphia's offense, their running game is basically from what we call the C-gap outside. So it's from the tackle out. So Vita Vea is not going to be a factor by his alignment. And if their edge is not strong, if they're not good on the edges, they're going to have a challenge with Philadelphia. And Jeff, to add to that, Levante David is hurt as well. He might play, but he's hurt. So it's those three key linebackers. And I don't know if you saw, but Ronald Jones is announced as out, as well as Cyril Grayson. So that's, why that's I, a that's big why loss, especially Jones. It's going to be a nasty, nasty day weather-wise in Philadelphia. It's going to rain. It's going to be cold, right? So if you remember, there there's some historical precedence to this. When Tony Dungy had a really good Tampa Bay Bucks team, he went up to play Philadelphia in the playoffs. And it was a nasty day. And they got beat. And they had no business losing to Philadelphia. So can the Philadelphia Eagles win that game? Yeah, I think they can. But they can't get behind early. And Leonard Fournette will be the key, I think. Because I think the Bucks are going to have to be able to run the ball. Jeffrey, every game obviously on Sky Sports this weekend. Great to see you back on television in, in the UK, Ireland, and further afield. Raiders, Bengals tomorrow, Patriots, Bills, and obviously the, the other four games this weekend. We know you'll be on Sky from tomorrow night. We want to thank you for coming on. We massively appreciate your support, and we want you to find a way to mention us sly off the cuff tomorrow night live on television. I, I, I'm only joking. I'm joking. If you, if I don't. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on jeff and enjoy tomorrow night and enjoy uh, your new screen or, or whatever the fancy word you used for that, for that earlier on all right guys it's great to see you keep doing your great stuff man i love your show 
Appreciate it, motherfucker. Thanks so much for your support, Jeff. Chat to you next week. Appreciate it, motherfucker.